0: Hello, this is Thank You for Calling, a talk show where we discuss both sides of the customer service experience. Whether divided by a retail counter, phone call, or a chat window, we look at how we can improve the human experience for everybody involved. From ruining Christmas to above and beyond service, we talk to real people whose stories range from all-out horror to a consumer love that will last a lifetime. Have you had a customer from hell? Have you talked to a rep who, who just doesn't care? That's eh, fine. You're, you're going you're gonna to do Christmas uh, without electricity not my problem have you been called names have you been threatened on either side of the conversation have you been the unlucky cashier behind the video game store the day that a new console is launched and some guy has, has promised it to his kid and he's not going to take no for an answer he's not going to take sorry sir we're out for an answer Have you salvaged what seemed like a lost cause? Have you taken one of those customers who has been beyond the point of breaking and brought them back to the side of reality, sanity, and serenity? Even if you work in a job right now and we can't use your real name, we can't use the name of the company you work for, we can't talk about some of the specifics of the service industry you work in. I don't care if you wait tables. I don't care if you answer a phone. I don't care if you're using canned responses in a chat room. I want to hear from you. So I want you to call into the show. This is a call-in show. 512-518-5714. Like I said, you can be a customer. You can be a representative for a company. Trying to achieve the mission of that company does not matter. I I would venture to say that all of us out there, have experienced or been a part of a customer service interaction of some sort or another. Being given a receipt when buying your lunch. Anything, anything like that classifies as a customer service encounter. But what we talk about here are the extremes, the really great stuff and the really terrible stuff. Two years ago to the day, I'm putting a link with some reference material to this into the show notes, which you can find at five by five dot TV slash special slash twenty three. Two years ago today, December twenty-seventh, back in two thousand eleven, I was part of something of a customer service firestorm disaster of epic proportions. It was the quiet days after Christmas. There was really no news going on. There was nothing big happening. There were there weren't a bunch of announcements, there weren't products being announced, there weren't people stepping down from high-ranking positions at companies or governments or uh, leaders being deposed in the Middle East. No, none of that kind of stuff was happening. And the guys who do this webcomic called Penny Arcade caught wind of a customer service rep who gave a guy legendarily terrible customer service. And I can say all of this without fear of lawsuits or anything like that because all of this stuff, it's it's posted and printed and the guys talked about it on the record. I'm not even going to mention his name. But I've dealt with him directly because I, like many of us on the internet, when there is a story posted on a wonderful site like consumerist.com, if you don't read consumerist.com, add it to your RSS feeds. If you don't have an RSS feed reader, good, you know, come on. Welcome to the 21st century. Go get one of those and add consumerist.com to the sites that you read on a regular basis. Sites like this report on just the most rude, most insulting, most disgusting treatment of customers. Whether it's by the mega corporations that that control the world, or whether it's the individual guy just doing a job. And this guy called the customer names... Told him he was a child. Told him he didn't deserve the product that he had ordered. The customer had emailed into this company for a video game accessory. something snaps on over the video game controller makes it so that you can be better at playing shooter games. And it had been a month. It had been a long time since he'd ordered this thing. And he did not yet have it. Did not have an update on order status. Did not have any idea when or if he was going to get this product that he had already paid for. So what's he do? He emails these people and the response he gets back is curt to the point, but not even businesslike, downright unprofessional. And it set off this chain. It set off this chain where this guy proceeded to berate the guy who had spent his hard-earned money on a product that he had not had shipped to him. So the customer gets more and more frustrated. He starts sending copies of this email chain around to various sites. It blows up all over the place, blows up Reddit, blows up all of the, the video game blogs out there. And I was watching all of this stuff happen in real time, just like anybody who sees one of these stories go up. You know, you're tweeting about it. You're emailing it to your, your parents who aren't on Twitter or aren't doing the whole social network thing. Wow, look at this. And I found myself tempted. I found myself tempted to somehow get involved because the company that this guy was representing was uh, very small. And I can tell you now from experience that it was less than 10 people, less than five people, really, principally involved in the day-to-day operations of this company that makes this one video game accessory. And so... I found myself in a in a direct message conversation with a friend of mine, a video game journalist, Kevin Kelly. Wonderful, wonderful man. Good friend of mine. And he just offhandedly mentions, yeah, I interviewed the owner uh, about a year ago. And he, you know, he's kind of eccentric. But he's he's got a, a solid product, and I, I think he just got stuck with the the wrong guy as the face of customer service for what he does. And so one of the things that I do, what I do for a living, marketing consulting, can sometimes relate to cleaning up social media disasters and that kind of thing in a a controlled sense. So I send a message back to my friend and I say, well, do you still have this guy's contact info? because I'm sure that he's being besieged but as as far as I can tell all the direct contact stuff that everybody is inundating out of hatred for this guy all that stuff's going directly to that guy and I you know what maybe it'll turn into nothing but who knows who knows maybe maybe he is looking for someone to help try to pull him out of this and I you know I was I was Taking time off, I hadn't planned any work. I didn't have any planned excursions. I wasn't going to visit my folks. I wasn't doing anything like that. Just sitting on my couch watching movies with my wife and my dog and cats. And I called the number that my friend Kevin had for this guy. And I left a message sympathizing with the situation saying, look, I don't know anything about you. I don't know. I didn't know anything about your product until right now. And I feel for you. And my friend uh, Kevin says that you're a nice guy. I do marketing consulting and, uh, you know, I, I hope you've already gotten rid of this guy. And whether you have or not, you know, I'd love to help. And me saying I'd love to help doesn't mean... You know, I want you to pay me for a phone call. You know, let's just, you know, if you have any interest, if any of this is of any use to you, you know, give me a call. Five minutes later, the guy calls me and we're on the phone for two and a half hours. And a lot of what was said was said in confidence. And, you know, there there wasn't even a piece of paper involved. But there was an understanding that uh, there there were a lot of details that shouldn't be shared. There's some that, you know, for legal reasons, I wouldn't share. But there was a systematic pattern of abusive behavior toward customers, all of which was documented, but which was only coming to the owner's awareness relatively slowly. So I set about spending a few days getting my hands around the situation. And honestly, we can probably do a string of episodes of this theoretical show about this. But long story short, I found myself digging into the darkest, deepest pit of angry, infuriated customers in the world that were angry for a reason. They were angry for a very good reason. You pay 50 bucks for something and you're promising it to your kid, especially. You know, it's not just you that has been disappointed, but you have also, as a result of being disappointed by this company, disappointed your kid. And there there was... A, an insane mix of situations where replacements had been promised or there were units that uh, that were being covered under warranty that the replacements never went out. Just, there was there was a gigantic backlog of work that simply just did not get done. And on top of that, there were various issues with the company's social media accounts And who had access to what and who was listed as the owner for everything from their web domain to their hosting plant, you name it. It was a mess. It was a a total mess on every point. And still to this day, still to this day, I'll find myself, you know, walking down the street and absentmindedly, my, my mind will drift to being in the trenches of this issue. And talking to these customers. Now. I know from experience that. Whether it's the cable company. Whether it is somebody you bought something from. Like these guys. Something that you need help. Knowing how it works. Doesn't matter the company. Doesn't matter how big they are. Doesn't matter how successful they are. There will be breakdowns. You know, we we record this pilot for this this show here uh, during the holiday season, during a traditional season of gift giving, lots of items being shipped, lots of promises being made, some of those promises not being kept. Ruining Christmas is a phrase that is well known in the customer service industry, where you find yourself, well, kind of, uh, kind of, kind of stuck giving somebody bad news when somebody who came before you may have said, well, uh yeah, you'll you'll definitely have this by Christmas Eve. And it's plain to see from a customer's order status that, well, they're not going to get it until halfway through January. Or it's back ordered. And they, you know, there's no way to know where it is. And there's no magic phone number to call somebody to make something happen and, and make something just suddenly exist. So I wanna I want to go to I want to go to you guys. I want to get some stories from those of you out there who are listening. So call in 512-518-5714. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the, the length or depth of the story that you've got. Somebody call in. Whether you were the representative dealing with the problem, whether you were the customer dealing with the problem, and we'll take your calls. And before we do, I got an email from Chase Clemens at SupportOps on Twitter, who has this, uh, this blog post at SupportOps.co called Customer Support Fail, And this is uh, a post from June of 2012. It's a great example of one of these kinds of customer service horror stories. In Chase's words, once upon a time, because all great stories start with once upon a time, I moved to the country and picked Exceed Wild Blue for my internet. And I say picked, but really, it was the only choice out there. I was happy in the beginning. The satellite internet worked great. The speed was awesome for satellite. All was right in the land. Then something happened to my modem. It'd be fine at times, and then it randomly sh- it had randomly shut off for five to ten minutes. So I called the Wild Blue support team, and then it began. It was quickly established that I had a faulty modem. No big deal. In an ideal world, tech would come out, swap the modem. All's right again. Should take ten minutes. Support agent set up a service call two days ahead. Not ideal, but again. I can understand being busy, so two days is fine. The day of the service call comes, nobody shows up. Turns out I never really scheduled anything, according to the new support agent I spoke with. They were apologetic, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, that type of crap, and rescheduled. Service call number two, nobody shows up. I'm now at seven days with intermittent internet. I call back and get support agent number three. Why can't I just have one person that I deal with who says that it still wasn't entered correctly, but he's got me all set now. Lovely, great, fantastic. Service call number three, nobody shows up. I'm furious at this point, but still polite with the newest support agent number four. I explain what happened, how I have to be online to do my job and just want a quick service call to swap out the modem. Again, the agent is apologetic, says the next available tech visit possible is july 5th two weeks out now i was silent to the point that he asked if i was still on line. i demanded a sooner date since at this point my modem has completely failed the agent says that's the first open slot i asked to speak to the next tier of support surprise surprise they're all gone for the day and cannot be reached along with a few choice words i say they've got 24 hours to call me back and then hang up I get a call roughly 10 hours later with the new Tier 2 agent. Again, lots of apologies, at least this time with, I'm sorry, I know it's a huge frustration and hassle. Still, there's nothing open before July 5th, although he's trying to get me in an earlier date. So that's where I sit. No internet at the house with no real hope of it until July 5th, and it's a total nightmare experience from which I don't have any real choice. Since it's the only real satellite internet out here. So this this is Chase's story, as, as as Chase puts it in his own words. And I want, I'm going to go back through this, but the post continues, and I want to, I want to get to this because this is his case study. This is you know here's what's wrong. This is what we learn. That's what this show is designed to do: is see what we can learn from these kinds of situations. So what do we learn from these types of horrible support experiences? Chase says, number one, say you're sorry. It shouldn't take four different support agents for me to hear the words, I'm sorry. It just shouldn't. That is absolutely true. Number two, be prepared. The new high-speed satellite internet was poised to be huge. People where I live were hungry for these fast speeds, 10 times faster than the closest competitor, HughesNet. So Wild Blue knew it was going to be big. And they weren't ready with their staff. If you ever utter the phrase, it'll be two weeks before I can have a tech at your house, hire more people. That's way too long to have a customer wait. Okay, number three, have an alternate plan. I know my modem's busted. Have it where you can mail me a replacement one, FedEx it over to my house with some return postage for the bad one. If he fixes it, you've saved a tech call and some money while providing a quick solution to your customer. There you go. Number four, have direct lines to your agents. I had to explain my story to four different agents. That ties up my time and yours. Just give direct lines to your support agents so that I can talk to the same one each time. I don't mind waiting for them to start their shift if it saves me 10 minutes of telling the same story a billion times. Bad customer support happens because the agents don't care. I'm going to keep reading, but I have to insert for a moment that I I cannot agree with that. I cannot agree with that. But Okay, maybe maybe it's qualified. Maybe I just need to read a little further. Uh, There was no empathy, no promises of a quick resolution, no indication that they would change their busted methods. Don't let yourself fail your customers like this because at some point, no matter how great your product is, they'll find the frustration too high and simply go elsewhere. As for Wild Blue, I'll let you know how it goes in two weeks. Okay. Lousy situation. Especially for somebody who relies on this utility and for those who don't consider internet access a utility like electricity, water, and so on. um, You know, even, even if that isn't your job, there are loads of things that you just cannot do without internet access anymore and it's getting worse every year. So this is a big deal. I mean, not as big of a deal as your water being off for two weeks or your electricity being off for two weeks or having no access to food for two weeks. Are you going to die? No. Are you going to lose your job in this guy's situation? Uh, Yeah, maybe, maybe. So my sticking point with this story is the insinuation that the reps don't care. Because the thing is, I've I've been in this situation. I've been in this situation working in call centers, uh, working for third party answering services, working for uh, for for mail order customer service, uh, even doing surveys for the the uh, the Florida Department of Highway Safety. And I got to tell you, it is difficult for me to ever. Assume that that many reps in a row just don't care because that's a company that fails in a week. Now, there are there are absolutely phone agents who don't care. I've been involved in documenting the behavior of some that have gotten fired from their jobs because they were abrasive and rude and honestly, emotionally terrifying to customers for no reason. People who just need something simple taken care of. People whose card got overcharged and as a result they can't pay their rent. And there are reps who will take those calls and listen to an angry customer and say, you know, just can't be bothered. Just can't be bothered because I'm going to a concert tonight and I am going to get trashed and I'm going to wake up I don't know where. And I'm going to have a good old time, and I just don't care about work, and I should just get a paycheck for existing because I'm amazing. But that's, that's not everybody that works one of these jobs. And look, you know, hauling, hauling bales of hay, that is, that is hard work in the summer sun. Answering phone calls in an air-conditioned office, not nearly as physically demanding. But what's often discounted in, in these situations in particular is the emotional toll. These four agents, even just generally speaking of all of them, the four of them, based on Chase's story, honestly could have experienced the exact same thing over and over and over. Think of getting nothing but phone calls from people just as angry, just as upset, and just as put out as Chase eight hours a day. All of whom assume that it is just a choice of not caring. And I'm not saying that Chase is being unreasonable, and I'm not saying that it was unreasonable for him to be angry. Because, oh my lord, have I been angry. And in those rare instances where I get somebody who just does not care, that's when I'm at my most livid. What Chase and a lot of other people who call in and are angry about this kind of stuff are angry about are the choices of the company that is employing the people to answer the phones. They're the ones that are choosing to not support their customers. But, you know, when you do get that rare person who just does not care, this is just a paycheck to them. They could be getting a paycheck for anything else, and no matter what it would be, they just would not care. You know, those those situations are the ones that are almost unrecoverable. Going back to this this Avenger controller thing that I was tied up in, when you get a guy who is berating you, making fun of you, bullying you over email... As a grown man, as the customer service face of a company, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when this is the only guy who is going to respond to any of your questions? Well, you, you post something on a bunch of websites. I don't hold it against this guy, Dave, who, uh, who did that. That's why sites like Consumerist exist. Because sometimes you do hit that dead end. And sometimes, you know, I understand the time it takes for me to make a phone call to get something fixed. That's fine. If I'm on the phone for 90 minutes and nothing gets resolved, that's a problem. If I'm on the phone for an extended period of time, more than 15 or 20 minutes, and I talk to four different people none of whom seem to have any hope of being able to do anything to resolve the issue that I've got, nor do they know who can fix the issue that I've got, can be even more infuriating. And in in Chase's case, where that number of people is spread out over time, that's a quantum version of this problem. So going back through Chase's story, here's, here's what I would say. Back at service call two or three, I, I would have been done with this company. And that nuclear button, and this, this is something that, you know, again, if this show continues, if this show becomes a thing, this is, this is a term that I use a lot when it comes to customer service situations. That nuclear button of that's it, I'm never doing business with your company again, it does get some traction, but it has to be presented in the right way. Yelling and cursing and that kind of thing, as Chase kind of inferred that he used some choice language, it's not going to help anything because even the most reasonable rep that 100% agrees with you, but understandably, his his or her company is not going to want them to say, well, sir, uh, to be honest with you, Internet Co. is... uh, just a giant bag of jerks and they don't care about their customers and everybody deals with these kinds of delays and know they didn't staff up enough techs and know they don't have enough replacement parts to just send something out to you or technically they do but they didn't build an infrastructure that allowed them to receive feedback from you that you just needed a replacement piece of hardware so they just FedEx it out to you. They probably can't say that. I mean, I know they can't say that. But what they can do, and this is phrasing that good customer service reps know how to use, not, well, sir, I can't, but you know what I can do is I can take this down for you. I can pass this along to management and I can let them know. And look, this did not happen to me. I did not talk to these reps. I don't have any recorded calls to know for sure the tone of voice of these folks. but. To say that categorically none of them cared, I think is going too far. I I think is going a bit too far in this case. However, it is a great example of a company that launches a fully half-baked product that they cannot adequately support, or they theoretically could, but they choose not to put the things in place that will allow them to. And it's a problem. What What do you do in these cases where it seems like you're at the end of the rope? You've got something that is in your hands that's just not going to work. Nobody's going to send you a replacement. Nobody's going to give you a refund. And you're dead in the water. Well, sometimes the better part of valor is just cutting your losses and moving on. And unfortunately, in a, in a situation like this, where you're dealing with rural internet providers, that can be some of the most frustrating stuff because you, you really just don't have any other choices aside from Usenet. <laughs> Usenet is rural internet access, and it's tremendously slow. So the, the promise of a better option turned into something that wasted weeks of this guy's time. I, you know, I, I'm going to get Chase on the show again if the show happens. Unfortunately, was uh, was out in the sticks where he had no cell phone service, or he'd be on the show today. But the, this broader topic of whether representatives for a company care is something that, like I was saying, I mean, people can care more or less. They can care more or less about doing their job well, and they can care more or less about helping you out. And believe it or not, even these people who don't care about their jobs, they can care on a human level about giving you good service and being a decent human being to you. But if you come out of the gate complaining like a 15-year-old who broke his iPhone, totally his fault, not like an act of God or just spontaneously combusted, you know, drop, drop the phone on the concrete and want somebody to fix it. And it's not their fault. If you come off petulant and immediately irritable and all that stuff, you're, you're making your own work harder in getting this rep to be on your side. And, you know, the thing is having logged many, Many, many hours in a call center. I can tell you that the people who are manning those headsets want nothing more than to just have nice customers all day. They really, really want to go home and be able to sleep through the night and not have nightmares about people screaming at them, wishing harm on their children, their loved ones, their family pets. I I, I will limit the amount of Apple stories that I tell because there's a lot of stuff that I don't think it's fair to share because it was under nondisclosure. But I'll say that in one of the various capacities I held while at Apple, uh, I was, I was helping train somebody and they got a phone call from a guy that just would not let up. He refused to even give an idea of what it was that would make him happy. He was just on the phone full of angry and ready to complain. And that's it. He had no goal. He had, he had no purpose stated as to what would make him a satisfied customer and send him home happy. Not even something ridiculous like, I want you guys to give me $600 cash in unmarked pills, in a duffel bag, in the back alley. There wasn't even anything like that. He just was one enormous ball of hatred. And this was uh, 2010. 2010, I'm talking to this guy. When I say talking to this guy, I was mostly listening to him berate me, somebody he had only exchanged a couple words with and who had only said a couple words back to him. And at one point, knowing that he was calling Apple, knowing that he was talking to a guy who works for Apple, probably likes the company that he works for. He says, yeah, I hear your uh, your boss, uh, Mr. Steve, he's, uh, he's getting kind of sick, you know, and uh, I hope he dies. I hope he dies right now. I hope he dies tomorrow. You know what, I'll uh, I'll tell you what, I hope he dies, and I hope you go out of business, and I hope you don't have a job, and I hope you lose your house. I hope you starve on the streets. And then he used language that we don't use on non-explicit tag shows. Just threw that in. Threw that in alongside various criticisms. I mean, this guy should probably have a podcast, honestly. A tech podcast where he's just nothing but angry about everything in the world not working. Because that's what he did. He just ranted and raved, and eventually, what it came down to when I finally was able to crack what his what his issue was, it was that he couldn't order something on the website and have it available for pickup in the retail store and for that, I was on the phone with him listening to him yell for forty five minutes on top of the forty five minutes that the trainee was listening to him, had spent with him. Just yelling, just full of angriness. And that guy doesn't represent the vast majority of us that call a company asking for help, looking for support, trying to have something rectified. But the problem is we can come off like that guy if we're on the customer service side of things and we get off on the wrong foot. It can be down to tone of voice. It can be down to word choice. You know, but honestly, the thing that I hope for most when I call somebody like Chase did to get my internet fixed because I get no iPhone reception in my, ho- in my house, thanks Verizon, is I understand that the person on the other end of the line, they are not doing this job as a luxury they're not having their foot massaged. They're not being fed peeled grapes. What they're trying to do is, is make a living. And at the end of the day, anybody who lasts more than a couple weeks in customer service likes helping people. No one in customer service would want more than to be the rep who gets somebody like Chase on the line and is like, look, you know what? I hear you. I hear you've talked to three other people before me. And, you know, if I had been stuck talking to that many people for as many hours as you have spent with them, for as many days as you've spent without reliable internet service, for as many weeks as you've been explaining to your employers or clients why you've been spotty and off the map. I'd be furious too. And saying something like that doesn't have to sound like you're just making something up to to appease somebody. You can say something like that and mean it. The problem is, even when you say something like that and mean it, a customer can misunderstand it. They can hear you and say, well, you know, uh... I don't like your tone of voice. I want to talk to your manager. I want to talk to your manager. Frankly, at the point when Chase asked for a manager, I would ask for a manager about seven days before. And I don't know how many calls before. Honestly, on the second call, I would have been done. Totally done. But you've, you know, whether you are the chase in this situation or the representative on the other side of things, you've got to be conscious of the fact that the person on the other end doesn't hate you, doesn't want to make you miserable, and is not out to get you. And, you know, I I listen to shows like Back to Work here on Five by Five. Most recent episode of the show, which I'll, I'll put a link to in the show notes. Uh, Merlin and Dan talked about various awful customer service issues. Dan's in particular stuck out to me. He talked about uh, getting a fridge for a house they were moving into, and it got hooked up and installed and everything and sat in the house for a couple of weeks. And during those couple of weeks, they didn't realize that it was a defective fridge. They got in touch with Lowe's one day outside of the period in which it was a Lowe's issue. Before it was technically, and by the letter of the agreement, a manufacturer repair issue. So, using using this as a case study. Dan talks to the guys at Lowe's. They say, well, you know, this is all that you can do in here. Talk to them. Get shoved off. And, you know, I... I'm ashamed to say that probably a couple times that I did something like that. Where I was like, well, sorry, but we're not the manufacturer. This is who you want to contact. In some cases, it was really the only option I had. Because I worked for a reseller of a product that didn't have the ability to support the product. But I suspect that there are others, like the person that Dan got, who is just looking at dumping a call somewhere. So they say, well, it's going to take this many days for them to get this out there and this and that and the other, and I've become so practiced at escalating calls, partly as a result of being on (laughs) the other end of those calls, being the, let me talk to your manager, being that guy that gets to put out the fire and deal with the super angry guy that maybe didn't necessarily need to be that angry. Maybe uh, they did end up needing to be that angry I've gotten so practiced at escalating issues myself that day and this is another thing I want to do on the show is talk about the right way to launch what consumerist.com calls uh, I I think it's an executive email carpet bomb Uh, effectively the, the nuclear option of you know that's it I'm going to Ring the bells of everybody with a bell to be rung because this is nuts. I've spent so much time with this already and the way they've set up their phone tree, their IVR, their voice recognition thing, their automated, almost human canned response thing being operated by somebody halfway across the world who cannot respond outside of preselected voice clips. They have failed me and they have failed me for the last time. If the person that you talk to on the phone can't get anything done for you, you know, it wouldn't hurt to call the actual store and ask to speak to a manager at that store where you spent, in the case of a fridge, a good chunk of money. You know, for a fancy pants, rich boy like Dan, I mean, that's walking around money. He Spends that on lunch. Bought three fridges the other day. We have nowhere to put them here in the studio. They're literally leaned up against a wall. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And, and whether it's a fridge or an iPad or a phone or, you know, a set of cables or something, it's something that you spent money for and you're expecting to have something that works. But especially in the case of a big purchase item like that. I recently had a situation with a with a bed. Wife and I decided to replace the bed that we have. Decided to get the fancy schmancy temperpedic high density foam magic witchcraft mattress, whatever it is. It's I think, I think it's called the 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 Delilah or something or the the Jezebel. I don't I don't know. Something something sinful or maybe not. Maybe it's the Symphony. Whatever they call their their fancy schmancy foam mattresses. We had gotten that. We had some furniture that was going to be delivered with it on some, you know, 0% financing kind of thing. It was a great afternoon out of replacing with stuff that needed replacing with, you know, financing that agreed with us. We have the delivery set for the weekend before Christmas. So everything seems just fine. I'm there. I'm ready. We've cleared the entire room out. We've vacuumed everything, shampooed the carpets. My wife wiped down the walls. I mean, we 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 had that bedroom cleaner than we got it when we started renting that house. Delivery guys start bringing stuff in. All right, where's the bed? Uh Bed's not on the truck. Huh. Well, that's odd. They said, well, um, look, I'm sorry. This doesn't really, uh, you know, this is the first time I've had this happen where they've sent all the furniture. But, you know, the mattresses, it all gets, you know, shipped down from Dallas. And, you know, I, look, I got to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I need you to, you know, refuse delivery on it because that's the only way the system does this thing. But here's what I'll tell you. Uh, give a call to this number. And if they can't help you, uh, you know, give a call to our manager over at the store. Um, but if, if it's on a truck, it might've just gotten stuck in another truck that's doing deliveries today. You'll get it before the end of the day. I said, well, uh, at the moment I've got, I've got a bed frame with no bed on it. And, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to sleep on the floor tonight. So, you know, what, what is there that can be done? And he said, well, you know, whatever can be done, either the customer service people or the manager at the store will be able to figure something out. So I call the store asked to speak to the, uh, the manager whose name I'd been given by the salesperson I'd worked with. And I said, look, I, you know, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you've got a floor to run. Uh, and you know, the people are, people are are off from work and school and everything. And they're out shopping and everything. Long story short, I had already talked to customer service. They said that we can, they said we can schedule a delivery for Tuesday afternoon. This was Friday afternoon, so three full days and an afternoon. Uh, I, I was I was going to be without arguably the largest priced item that I had just gone into a bunch of debt for. And I was going to be sleeping on the floor. And uh, so I said, okay, well, thanks for that. I'm going to give the store a call, see if they found our lost mattress and box spring talked to the manager and said, uh, well, th- this is the conversation I had with customer service. He said, well, that doesn't sound right. Uh, we should figure out some way to get this taken care of. This does not happen. I'm so sorry, sir. And, uh, tell you what, if you have not heard from me in about an hour and a half, just give me a call back. Uh, I'm going to try to, you know, get, uh, get an indication from these trucks that are out there. If, if your bed's on one of those other trucks. And, uh, you, you know, if, if it's not, we'll, we'll try to get something figured out for you. Uh, but just so that you know, all, all my stuff's in a warehouse up in Dallas and, uh, I, you know, it, it, there literally just may not be such a bed in the city limits today. Uh, so I, I apologize and, uh, and let me get back to you. I talked to him later and he said, well, I'm still waiting to hear back from one of the other trucks," and. In the event that we do not find it on one of these trucks, you know, I've pulled some strings, talked to some higher-ups, and got something worked out, and we will definitely have one to you tomorrow afternoon at the very latest. And on the one hand, I was was happy with this. He was working on the issue. He was getting it resolved. On the other hand, he really shouldn't have led with, I pulled some strings. You know, that that almost engaged my nasty, angry customer reflex. Because in, in these situations, I mean, just a, a careful choice of words like that, where otherwise everything's fine, set off my angry customer sense. You know, I, t- I talked to some people. I talked to some people. But, uh, you know, I got... Uh, I got something worked out and we're going to have one to you tomorrow afternoon, no matter what, but I'm not done yet. We're going to search every last truck. And it ended up working out. And uh, And the salesperson ended up calling me back later and saying, look, I'm so sorry. And, you know, this is, you know, let me know if there's anything I can do. I said, well, it'd be great if you guys could refund that delivery charge. And he said, well, I've got to check with my manager. You know, I've got to say that, but I'll take the heat for it. No matter what, don't worry about it. We're going to make sure that that's taken care of. Yeah, it was an inconvenience. Yeah, my wife and I slept on the couch that night. But at the end of the day, we got consistent, regular feedback, and everything worked out. Sometimes talking to the manager doesn't have to involve yelling. And tell you what, we've got a call. It's been holding for about 10 minutes. We don't have any call screening set up. So whoever this is calling from a 240 number, we're going to put you on the air, and we're going to see what you got to say. Hello.
1: Hi, Moises. My name's David. How are you?
0: Hi, David. How are you? Where Where are you calling from?
1: I'm in Maryland today.
0: You're in Maryland, the great state of Maryland. So yeah, what... I wanted
1: to tell you that this is the best. This is the best hour of your show so far. <laughs>
0: Well, you know what? Uh, hopefully, hopefully, I can I can have a few a few more best hours. Uh, to, to, what, what are you calling in for? You you have a, a horror story, a, an above and beyond tale of customer service. What, what do you got to say?
1: Uh, if you'll if you'll allow it, I was actually hoping to ask for for some general advice that I thought uh, I, might be helpful
0: for. Folks. Look, as long as as NBC and Fraser Crane aren't going to uh, prosecute me for it, I'm listening. Go ahead, David.
1: Okay. All right. So, I, I, while I was on hold, I jotted down just a few of uh, advice that, that I could personally uh, use and hopefully some other folks would benefit from, too. Um, let's see. What is, uh, as far as actionable advice, what, what's your best suggestion that a, a service rep can take to improve um, their own work?
0: Well, I'm going I'm to have to ask you a few follow-ups on this because not not every phone rep job is the same, for example. Um, and on top of that, when you say you know improving your own work, you know what do you, uh, is it? Is it the you know the way that you're treated, the way that you're viewed for you know promotion or more beneficial hours? I mean, what what, what what's at the core of this? Why why are you calling and asking this specifically?
1: Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I I just I was listening to the the first part of the show and I and I thought that th- this might be something that you had
0: tips tips and tricks
1: tips and tricks. What, uh, what you, know, you know what though. How about I, I just—I'll give you um, three or four others, and whichever one you think is best for, for, for the overall audience, I, you know, certainly um, an, an n equals one isn't going to help. Yeah, much, well, so hey, hey, look, a well,
0: yeah, let's. Well, we'll, we'll uh, i, I well, Let's stick with this one for just a sec. Let's let's stick with this one for just okay. a sec. Is le, so, for example, uh, are there specific kinds of calls that you take? that you find yourself struggling with anything that stresses you out in particular, you know, one of the big, one of the big focuses that I have foci, this word I should be using. My mother's listening to this. She's going to ream me for, for messing with uh, messing with the English language Um, is, is stress in call center work. You know, is it that there's a, you know, a certain load of stuff that you get, more than anything else that you feel you struggle with. I mean, what what kinds of calls do you take?
1: Well, I, I'm not in the in that job right now. But What I was thinking of is more from um, the general audience of five by five. There's a lot of indie and small shop um, app developers, and th- what I what I generally think is is there's probably some folks out there that are. Uh, looking to either hire their first rep or empower a, a struggling rep. And then I was thinking again of all this while I was on hold, so I'm sorry to, it for ramble a bit, but maybe I could pull up that a little further and say, you know, right now with so much excitement um over um, the value and the, the skyrocketing value of developers, what what maybe some folks could, could use a lot of help with is, hey, if you've actually been hired on the customer service side of a new startup um, and you really believe it's going to take off and, you know, you see these success stories of people with um, you know, achieving huge, huge personal um, financial success when the, the company they work for goes publicly acquired. What happens, how, What's your advice, nurses, for customer service rep number one at Hot Startup and this rep says, "Hey, this could you know this could go from my minimum wage job to retirement if I if I do this right, but I'm not I'm not really good at this service stuff. I'm having mm-hmm. trouble communicating with uh, engineering, uh, you know, as far as even just speaking the same general language. So I'm having trouble conveying the customer feedback back to the engineers. What do you what do you say that to, to a customer service rep that wants to really succeed?" Um, but just doesn't know
0: how to how to improve. I see where you're going. So, relative specific specifically to uh, you know, I'll use Instapaper as an example. Uh, these small shops, sometimes one man shops, people that are creating a product that suddenly needs support of some sort, whether it's email support, whether it's phone based support. In terms of apps, you know, you you correct me if I'm wrong. I would kind of be inclined to think that you're probably dealing with email more than anything else. And whether it's email, whether it's phone calls, the common thread with all of it is being able to think from varying perspectives. And having worked in IT, and I actually worked in IT for the same company that I worked for as a call center rep uh, for for third-party answering services. So I was kind of the the in-betweener, the guy that was that was on both sides of the line. That had the technical know-how and could talk to the nerds and understood the call center people that were having issues with their phones or their amplifiers or whatever and was, was the guy that was able to translate a bunch of lingering issues that everybody knew there was some sort of an issue, but everybody just assumed the other side was stupid. It's the same thing with customer support where you've got an app. That's crashing all the time and I, I was listening to um my friend guy English on the talk show with the, with John Gruber and he was talking about how they got this this negative review for napkin that just said crashes on startup in Mavericks, and they have no way of contacting this guy to find out exactly what he's doing, what else he's running, how they can try to reproduce this problem and uh, the 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 nice thing about customer support unlike app store reviews is you can actually Respond and react to these folks. And uh, what I was touching on earlier, I think, is the first step across the board, whether you're the one man shop that is doing all this stuff yourself and using the word we to describe what you're doing when it's actually you respond to the emails as, you know, Rebecca instead of David or something like that. Um, you you have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of the person who's frustrated with something that maybe they spent $3 on, maybe they spent $30 on, but to an extent, no matter the price, they have a certain expectation as to how good of support they're going to get. And, you know, they 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 bought a $3 app and they're expecting million-dollar customer service. So the the general tip that I would have is that An angry customer is not necessarily your enemy. In fact, they're generally your best co-conspirators because they're the ones that are actually talking to you. This is something – I mean I I experience it with with podcast reviews and email feedback and that sort of thing where compared to the number of people that actually listen to the shows, the number of people that write in are comparatively few. And that's the same thing for customer service. Whether you're talking about an online store, whether you're talking about an app with independent developer customer support – you you know unless you're really really, really screwing up, you're actually talking to the vast minority of your actual audience, and especially the ones that get the angriest can be the most productive and i, I I've experienced this on phone calls with angry customers that once once you you manage to turn them to the other side, all of that vim and vigor goes. Big time in the other direction and they are your biggest fan and just the happiest human being on the planet. And that 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 for me is the key is. You've got to be able to engage that energy when you actually get it sent to you, because you might have other customers that are having the exact same issue, but only one that sends a bug report. And that guy is your best friend. If you look at at what Will Shipley and the people who do Delicious Monster do, they have legendarily good customer support. I've 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 felt the good effects of it myself, where they're responsive. And that's you know, I you know, you 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 apologize for rambling a minute ago. I'm gonna apologize for rambling this time. But I th- I think what it really comes back around to is is responsiveness. You have to be responsive you know when you're an independent developer and you don't have a call center full of people answering phone calls you know about people angry their iPod hasn't arrived yet or something you know you're you're dealing with an audience that really needs you to be on the ball and if you're if you're advertising same business day response you really have got to get back to them on the same business day You know, you've got to practice what you preach. You've got to make sure that it's something that you can manage too. you know, don't offer 24 by 7 voice over IP, you know, Google voice forwarded customer support. If you don't want to get woken up at 430 in the morning by somebody in Finland, you know, choose your scope and then be responsive to the scope that you put out there.
1: that sound useful? That, that definitely sounds useful and, and relevant, too, it, uh, as far as a uh, single developer handling their own. Um, I'd also um, comment that, that, that uh, underscore David Smith has, has uh, written about recently about uh, when to fire a customer versus provide support. And then, uh, as far as that, that episode with with Cooper and Guy Ritchie, just make sure at the end of this you Guy don't English. ask for Guy- us all to go read your podcast.
0: Sorry, I, I just had to say Guy English. I, I've I've called him Guy Ritchie too. And as much as I love Guy, he doesn't make uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. Hi.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> make sure make sure Moses, that you don't ask us to go review your podcast highly though on iTunes. I, I will get in trouble.
0: Well, that's the thing, is if you go and review this episode of this show, you're reviewing the specials. And, you know, save those reviews for yeah. when and if the show actually has a feed. Because I don't, I don't care about the specials. I just use the specials for what I need, and, you know, I leave them alone. So, I yeah, feel
1: free to move on to the next person anytime. but maybe I can just
0: ask one no, follow-up. No, hey, am I'm, I'm going st- to stick with you. I'm, I, I don't have anybody else in the queue at the moment. I'm going to stick with you. As long as you want to talk, stay on the show. I'm here, well, I'm
1: listening. I'm curious, <laughs> so, so I'm curious um, as far as you, you said something that, uh, that, that I think it hit home, you know, every developer or everybody that's launching a product to the world wants to be able to provide great support and really intends to. I don't think there's many folks out there that put something out to the world as far as a, a product, you know, separately. That, you know, putting something out in, in social media, but actually putting a product out to the world, I think everybody has the best of intentions to provide a reasonable or an exceptional level of support. Cool. Okay. But so when you put that 99% commitment or 100% satisfaction, even if your best of intention is to be woken up all night long and you've got you know, all your alerts set and all kinds of redundancy, and, and you're guaranteed to get those calls or those emails uh, when they come in. What do you do if your your app uh, or your product achieves some, some really unanticipated like on, on level of success, and now you've got an issue, so the site goes down, certain part of, you know, account access is blocked, something happens to, you know, a large segment of users and you're, you're achieving this, this, you know, hockey stick growth. Can we talk a little bit about, I think m- most developers, when they think in terms of maybe I'll have to hire another developer at some point, at least in their mind, they can see kind of how that would happen and, and where the universe of developers that they might talk to or recruit, you know, where they are. Still challenging, but okay. And if you need a business person and you're not a business person, there's been a lot written on that. There are a lot of business people, believe me, that they're out there communicating, you know, they're not hard to find either. Mm -hmm. But what do you do when when it comes time to to hire a support team?
0: You know, a
1: lot of it... how How do you do that?
0: Well, there's, you know, there are infinite numbers of ways to to answer that question or or actually accomplish that, you know, when when it comes down to it, and this is the thing the Avenger controller thing I was talking about earlier. I, I don't have an MBA. I don't have a degree in marketing. I've got a degree in anthropology. You know, I, in terms of, in terms of what I'm book smart about and what I, you know, ostensibly went to college for boy, I can tell you about matrilineal societies, all you want and tribal Africa for days on end. Um, but, you know, my, my resume since college, I haven't been digging up any fossils or broken clay pots in Mesoamerica. I've been doing entertainment events. I've been doing marketing. I've been doing uh, all sorts of stuff. And when I talked to this guy, I had, been, I had been doing a lot of sales work of late. I had been doing some brand development work. Um, hadn't, hadn't been stretching the, the PR muscles that much in some time. And it ended up working out pretty well for both parties where I was able to extricate them from a lot of stuff, not based on what my entire resume looked like, not based on uh, my name brand value or my being as big as an ad agency or what you would say, you know, traditionally you throw at that problem. And in terms of hiring a support staff, In whatever form you hire it, whether you outsource it to a firm that does that for other customers as well, which on the scale of independent app developers is probably most affordable, unless say you have a a spouse who, you know, is all in on the business and collaborating and working on it, and they could manage something like that. You know, that's something that I I know a few people have done. Um, In hiring whatever form of a support staff you go with, the key is. Getting getting the right sensibility for the type of feedback they're going to be dealing with. If you've got somebody who's great talking to people on the phone doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be great dealing with a queue full of email support. And, you know, it it is it's I would say that it's difficult to comprehensively answer your question. That's not to say that it isn't a good question. It's a very good question because that's that's the stage that you want to you want to be at you want to be so successful that it is a problem that you don't have a fleet of ten people processing bug reports and collating them with different patches that are being done to a piece of software and that sort of thing
1: um, can I, can I compound yeah go uh, ahead the, go the, ahead the, you know, the, compound the hypothetical problem here uh, and maybe make the question. Um, more more explicit, so if, if you 've got a lot of time you know when you're doing you know, the old strategic planning um, and you', you know, you're, you're thinking about customer service uh, as its own division and its own importance, okay, cool, but what do you do is as that app goes from zero users to uh, iTunes top of the charts.
0: And all of a sudden, your your ser, your servers are crashing all over the place. Dogs and cats are living together. Mass chaos.
1: Well, and and, and I I think so. And let me just I, I just say for clarification, you're right? So so that's what's happened. And there, there, maybe it's not a server crashing as much as really something that could be more. Um, Addressable by customer service. If, if you if you know the problem, I remember Marco had a, had one issue in particular with Instapaper. I remember that from like, built and analyzed days, and and he mentioned that when a version came out, um, and actually this, this is it's not the greatest example, but there was a bug, and, and let's just say it was a bug that he could fix. So regardless of the quantity of inbound customer service issues. He knew he could handle it, and he made it go away but what if what if we're dealing with issues that really are uh, best suited for customer service you know work I, you know how would you take that and and one of those issues has happened at scale now, and you're not at equivalent scale on resources. what do you do how, how do you how do you handle that?
0: Honesty is the best policy. I, I'll say it over and over and over again. And the faster you can be honest about an issue, the better because, you know, people may be upset, but silence makes that anger exponentially worse because they're, they're angry in a vacuum. Nobody can hear them scream. It, it, the the lack of responsiveness that is the number one thing that escalates issues that don't need to be escalated where it is you know b- being being a victim of your own success in this case you know th- what what i would say is categorically across the board from from the customer perspective if i'm using a a service that is having issues i really want to hear from from that company as soon as possible Because first of all, I don't know if they're aware of it. And if they're not aware of it, how much do they care about me, the customer? I'll use a very recent example. A bunch of my friends were really, really upset about Nintendo's eShop being down over the last few days as a bunch of people have gotten their new systems for Christmas. And of all times, for the thing to be down, it's down now, and Nintendo was silent. Just, you know, oh well, it's down, we're on holiday. And that 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 did not make people terribly happy. Did those people go and return their Wii U's and their 3DS's and that kind of thing? Probably not. But it makes them a lot more likely to let those things collect dust if Sony or Microsoft is more responsive when there is an issue. Whether Sony, Sony, uh, an example for them, that, that big PlayStation Network security breach, they got out ahead of that to the extent that a massive multinational company can do when there's something of that scale that happens. And it is absolutely possible, if not more possible for an independent developer to be faster and more responsive than people with infinitely more resources at scale. You know, when something goes wrong, when something is not going ideally, here's, here's an example of a, a beloved uh, development company. I love Smile. Use Smile's products. Text expanded,
1: PDF. No, but No, but I'm a huge fan of, of the fact that they uh support through, a, through sponsorship a ton of the podcasts <laughs> I listen to. I'm a huge fan of what Gene McDonald has done on the on the girls uh code camp uh, App so, camp for but, girls you know, I love least, I love Gene McDonald. I wish, I could McDonald. Say I w- yeah, honest, I, have to ask. Yeah.
0: I, I love I love Gene. I, I wish they were sponsoring this show, but you know, it's it's not even a show yet. But so the the other reason that I love them, and the reason that I love them, you know, before I was I was doing shows, that they were they were sponsoring on this network, is their level of support is unparalleled. Where Text Expander on iOS for those who don't use Text Expander, uh, Dan Merlin would say, "Shame on you." Uh, I'll say, "Poor you." Poor, poor you who haven't experienced the joys of Text Expander yet. Uh, I do a whole lot of writing, and that it cuts down the amount of time that I actually use, uh, spend typing, cuts down the amount of carpal tunnel that I that I induce on myself. It's uh, fantastic. And iOS being iOS, which anybody who knows anything about it knows what I mean by that. Um, they ran into an issue with app sandboxing that effectively made it so that they had to not only nuke and resubmit the current version of text expander but they also had to issue a new version of their SDK that allowed other third party apps to communicate with text expander and before before news of this before before word got around or anything they were out ahead of it with a blog post they were responsive on twitter they were on high alert and i'm sure that it was not a pleasant week for them to deal with people who caught a piece of the news here or there or saw somebody linked list post it and get a fragment of the information that they put in the blog post. You know anytime there's something like that there's there's some sort of misunderstanding but the, the fact that they got out ahead of it said look there's this big problem and we wish we could tell you that we have a solution but we do not have a solution yet and you will definitely be the first ones to know once we do thank you so much for for supporting the product and everything. And th- like that, that, that is how you support a product. Being honest, being upfront, saying, look, it's broken, and I don't know when it's going to be fixed. Just, so,
1: you know. Hey, um, uh,
0: oh, go, go ahead, go ahead.
1: M- maybe, m- maybe one, uh, just last follow-up I promise. No, so, like let's, I said, like... Let's say just,
0: D- David, you're 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 welcome on the show anytime. It's your show. I'm just here.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so let's say specifically, um, you have an app that has some sort of stickiness to it or network effect to where because I think for a lot of developers, if you put product one, you know, version MVP to the world, and there's a significant um, tech support related issue. I think realistically, a lot of those users, you know, whether or not you're on hockey stick, you know, regardless of the volume of them, a lot of them are just going to abandon you and go to something different. It's, it's there's, there's, there's there's no there's no nothing holding them. But so let's let's say that you have released your MVP. And that it's a product that has some sort of stickiness. So let's say the users are inputting and storing or saving or counting on some of the data that they've uh, that they've inputted into your app. So, so they, they're and I only say this to, to, just to make it harder on you to answer, but I think it'll help everybody a little more, and it'll help me to hear it. So. You know, you have users that have a huge problem right now. They can't access their account, or randomly some of their their data is missing. But but you know, you know you have um you, you have incentives to help them. You you can't just burn the house down to start over um, because realistically, you know, if you can salvage these customers, that you know, that they'll stay with you because they're kind of stuck with you, but just a little bit. You know, there's still some, um, there's stickiness, but, it, you know, they're not stuck. So my question is, you obviously did not anticipate the, the tech problem, you know, the, the, the bug, but it happened. And now you're getting hit at scale, at volume, with inbound requests for support. And a lot of those early adopters, those early users, they're supportive of you. They they really like you. They're they're really cordial and, and actually even upbeat in, in their inquiry. Hey, I know you're busy with the first version, but this bug happened. How, what do you what do you have to say? So my, my my question is, you you've got this humongous inbound and it's only you. And so, so I think specifically what I was wondering is what, what is step one? What, what do you do first in, when, you, when you know that you've got to get some help with the customer support side? I mean, where, where do you, what, do you, what is step one? Do you go on Craigslist? I mean, what, what do you do that moment when you've got uh, 10,000 inbound uh, messages, you know, various, various mediums, whether it's email, uh, your online chat, you're away window up. Uh, you're getting you're, Twitter you're, 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 snow, getting...
0: you're snowed under. You're snowed in. You're stuck.
1: Yeah, but, but also, but it's not as simple as having a form, you know, reply or, or boilerplate So oh, and a form reply. Let's, let's well, the fact that yeah. they're, they're not all. So, so you, you've got to you've got to give some individual attention to some degree to each of these inbounds. But now, so my question is what is step one because you've got to divide your time between you handling some of the inbounds is they're not going to wait you know two weeks while you hire somebody, but you've also got to find somebody but you have no time to find somebody so uh, I'll shut up now, but no, I'd love I, to hear what what is actual step one
0: uh, this is this is this is good this is really good and uh, and I, I got to say um, i went through a little bit of a version of this with this, this whole Avenger controller thing where there wasn't time to hire somebody else. I was the one who was going to have to respond to these emails and complaints on Amazon and complaints on PayPal. And sometimes the only option is to break your back to hold the house up. Sometimes that's where you're at. So step one, again, I can't say that there's a comprehensive answer because there's a lot of nuance to this kind of thing, but sometimes you're just going to be stuck shouldering a lot of it and you're done a lot more damage, not responding, not as much damage, but still some damage by sending a generic form letter, which is something that I, I came into after the wave of form letters went out to a bunch of people. And that just made a lot of them a lot angrier, honestly. Um, and it was it was mostly the, the phrasing of the form letter, the way that it was written, it was pretty impersonal, um, didn't didn't seem to commit to, to, to much resolution. You know, that 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 being said, there is a version of the form letter solution that can work, but it has to feel personalized. And it's you know, looking at the form letter as the template that you put in some, some customers, depending on what they're saying, you've got to make a judgment as to whether the form letter is going to work for them or if you need to tweak it a bit. And sometimes it can just be a few words and that takes it, takes it away from it feeling like a form letter in any way. Um, Ideally, what? ideally, I, I, hold on, hold on just a sec. Hold on just a sec. So ideally, in this kind of a triage situation, you would have... You would have resources of some sort, whether it's colleagues, whether it's something of a social media following um, that you can reach out to for, hey, does anybody have, you know, customer support people that I can lean on? I need them fast. I need them now. That's one of the benefits of the new information age that we live in is that sometimes you can reach out over social media and get get help. From people who care and who aren't going to say, well, my services will cost you five bars of gold, my good man. Um, but I, step one, before all of that, before you even get to any of this stuff. Before you even really are in the solution phase is assessing what you've got. You have to. If one of your friends knows somebody who can reach out and help you with disaster customer support instantaneously, or if you do it yourself, or if you send a form letter while you kind of assess where things are in general because of other factors that are going on, regardless of all that, you have to know what you've got where. What kind of volume of emails do you have? Separate out the angry stuff from people that are just reporting bugs or whatever or, you know, other email that's coming in, wherever it's coming into. If you've got, you know, people blowing up your, your chat support, uh, you know, you, you've got, you've got to assess where the need is in terms of, in terms of what's on fire the most. You know, everything is on fire, but something that's about to collapse under its own weight. That you know that that's the sort of thing that you've got to you've got to run at that first. And using it as as an example, this Avenger controller thing, there was an enormous mountain of email because these websites posted the customer support email address. And the biggest challenge was that ninety percent of the emails coming in, people had set up bots that were sending hundreds of emails an hour. There was. So much noise, there was barely any signal to be tuned into. And it was coming in at such a pace that it was just, it was dizzying. I've never seen anything like it before or since. And yeah, some of the like complaints and bad feedback on Amazon and through PayPal and that kind of a thing, those are serious and those are important. But I would say less than 30 or 40 of that side of things. And the email thing was just crushed under its own weight multiple times. And, you know, that, that's a specific example, but in a general sense, you've got to be able to assess where the need is. And in a situation where maybe you just have a customer support email address or, uh, you know, a form that people can fill out in the app itself or something, um, If you, if you aren't super clear in advance as to where people are responding to you, you've got to get a handle on that pretty quick, especially if you're going to involve somebody else in helping. Uh, Because again, something that I ran into was I said, wait, how many Twitter accounts do we have? How many email addresses do we have? Uh, You know, who is sending emails to what and who has access to what account and I didn't know that so and so's cousin was doing this um, that that's that's the thing you've got you've got to know where the points of entry are for the customer contacting you you know some of it's just anonymous spamming on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and that's fine uh and that's you know who cares that's not nearly the concern that it is zeroing in on your actual customers that are actually responding to your issue because Especially if something, the, the way that you kind of describe it, if, if it's something that, that ends up blowing up across social media, you are going to get a bunch of noise that is from people who are not your customers and do not care about you or your product or your customers or anything other than being 14 years old and putting a bunch of expletives and slurs in an email and trying to hurt somebody's feelings. Does that answer your question?
1: It, it it does, and, and as you were talking, I was reflecting on what you said. It, 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 I had not considered um, one of the resources, you know, that you mentioned is reach out to your personal network. So if you're the if you're the one man shop, and you've got hockey stick growth on the user side and zero <laughs> growth on the on the customer service resource side, and you get hit with an issue, I had not even. You know, thought of how practical that could be is reach out to your own personal network and say, hey, can can you guys help me, you know, respond to 10 emails piece or something like that? At least that was the takeaway I took from what you said is it's actionable. It is you know,
0: if you're bringing multiple people in, the other thing is this is this is just as key as, as assessing where you're at. You've got to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody is, you know, is on message you know you can't have one person sending canned responses and one person hand typing them with grammatical errors and that that kind of thing and, and that that's that's another piece of it and I'll, I'll, I'll i'll let you finish um is sometimes letting your brother or cousin or sister or spouse or uh you know your your pal's best friend or something help out they may be super willing to help but you have to have a laser focus on making sure that the customer support you're engaging is, is good at doing what you're hiring them to do because botching the follow-up just incites another wave of anger and another wave of, of compounded noise that you have to deal with.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. Also, that complicates it a little bit because even if you're if you reach out to your personal network and everyone's willing to pitch in, um, that, that you know there could be issues if, if they're not as in tune with how to respond well. So you, you're right. Can, can I just leave you? I'll let you go, up, can I just leave you with two just general? Take it for what it's worth, or don't take it at all. Um, I, I think when when the show. Let's, let's be optimistic. When, when the show uh, is a hit and, it, and you know, it's, it's launched officially on 5x5, I think when people are searching, you know, people that come across your podcast naturally and not by already being in the 5x5 community, but I think realistically, they're going to have to have search or they're likely to have searched on customer service. And maybe there's two groups of people that are most likely to do that within the within the podcast listening community, probably indie developers that could use more of that kind of helpful advice you just gave me. Mm -hmm. And then also, believe it or not, believe it or not, I'd come back and say, you've got $8 an hour Joe, and he just got his first job ever in customer service. And it's (laughs) a company called, uh, well, it's a company called Twitter, you know, a few years ago. And he has a sense the excitement in the air and he's seeing VCs or or, suits come in and out of the office. And and he kind of has this sense, man, this could turn into something for me if I don't blow it. How can I get to speed? You know, what are, what are some simple best practice actionable tips or, you know, resources they can go get in to continue listening to your podcast for how to improve their own work When they're working at a company that can't provide those resources for them, because their company is is not full of people that knows how to train a customer service team. So I would just say that, and the other thing I would leave you with is, um, if 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 you need general for topical stuff, man, there's two, there's two easy ones would be what are your general thoughts? Because I'd like to hear you've got some situations and some some some, uh, actual experience what are your thoughts on this whole healthcare.gov, you know, these are the customer service, you know, the fiasco. And then the other would be just if you wanted to throw it in today, especially, you know, FedEx and UPS are just getting blasted in the media for having quote unquote missed Christmas day. How do you, how do you, you know? It would be interesting to hear your thoughts both on the service side. You know, they're certainly getting hit with a bunch of inbound, but what do you do if you're a driver and you're getting just the law and you've been working. I read one article that said guys were driving in your truck 60 hours a week, um, you know, plus whatever other prep time. In fact, in fact, I Googled it to see if that was legal. It is. But, uh, and I'd be curious to hear your advice. You know, again, actual tip or how do you take a driver who's not necessarily trained in service and throw him into that, you know, on 60 hours of work already, how do you feel into that? So I'll, I'll I'll let you go. I'll listen off air for that. But uh, I, again, I hope the show is a success. I think there's you know there's a big need in the community for more customer service related stuff. So thank you for your time, Jason.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for being my first caller on the show, and uh, and I really I really hope that it does uh, end up. Turning into a thing, and I'm I'm glad that Dan let me try it out as a special. So I'll I'll let you go, and I will I will answer your uh, your your calls uh, or your your questions as you wait off the air. Um, but thanks so much for uh, for being a a great first call in and checking a bunch of the boxes I was hoping to with multiple callers. Just needed one guy. Just needed David. Thanks again. Call in again sometime.
1: I appreciate. It. Good luck. Yeah. Cheers.
0: So to start off with. Uh, indie developers, people in startups, and uh, the the addressable audience for this show. I was telling a friend who who has who has a past life as a server in a restaurant, and the the serving industry is rough. It is tough. Now, the the show, I want it to be as much for uh, people that 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 wish there was a little bit more uh, pepper on their pepper crusted steak and they'd like their meal for free because there wasn't enough pepper on it or something. I want it to be as much for them as it is for the indie developer who is panicking and having stress attacks uh, from all the anxiety caused by being a one-man shop and dealing with creating something artistic, which if you don't think software design is artistic, I don't know what to tell you um, and deal with the emotional side of customers. I want it to be just as much for them. I want it to be just as much for the person who is sitting in a call center And feeling like they're not going anywhere and feeling like it's not, it's what they are doing in that context is just not right for them. And in fact, I really, more than anything, personally, selfishly, am interested in delving into a lot of things that I think are wrong about the call center industry. Um, So I I thank you very, very much uh, for your kind words about this, again, theoretical show that doesn't exist yet. If you're interested in sponsoring it, you know, please get in touch uh, and, uh, it's not hard to find me find five by five. Uh, so that, you know, a lot of it's going to hinge on that. Um, but to address your questions and th- th- these are, these are two subjects that entire limited mini series shows, uh, could be based on to start with healthcare.gov, uh, you know, the tongue in cheek kind of thing to say would be, well, I, w- I wish they had accepted my bid. I, I did not bid on, you know, fixing the problems with healthcare.gov. I I think that a couple of things that we talked about were were big issues regardless of where you sit on the fence regarding the Affordable Care Act, regardless of what you want to call it. This isn't a political show. I am a political guy. It's not hard to find out in what ways. But what I think is important to talk about with regard to healthcare.gov is the huge breakdown of Uh, proper testing didn't happen. A lot of issues came up and there was just a lot of silence kind of a, well, we're working on it. Um, I have no idea what we're going to do. And they focused on putting out numbers of, we're going to make sure that X number of people can access it X times a day and so on and so forth. And, It's a, it's a, it's a weird situation to be a governmental body and have to deal with something on that scale that has so many complicating factors. No doubt. Uh, From the public relations side of things and making people feel like they really cared like that side of things. I think they could have done a substantially better job by getting out ahead of it so that they weren't issuing multiple exceptions. And just said, you know what, this this may take uh, a while to fix. So we're going to push back a bunch of stuff because it's unreasonable to say that suddenly we're going to wave our magic internet wand and the internet is going to be fixed in the way that we need it to be. I think that would have uh, honestly uh, eased a lot of the concerns of people that are actively trying to sign up for this thing. Again, if you hate it, if you think it's terrible, if you think you need to boycott it, if you think that the person running for the the governorship of your state needs to take a stand against Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, whatever. None of that is what I'm addressing here. But for the people that are actively trying to use it and trying to sign up for it and trying to make it work, those people really needed, you know what, we passed this law and we are here for you. And we are going to make sure that it works and we're not going to have you backed into a corner where you're held to an expectation that our website could not cash. You know, that that for me is really the biggest failing, you know, messaging issues related to people being able to keep plans that they previously had. Um, You know, we'll see we'll see where the government gets in fixing those situations. But when you set expectations, you've got to deliver on them. And it's way, way, way better to set lower expectations that you can then massively outperform. That's something that we prided ourselves in at Apple when I was there and since. People who still work there. That's still the thing is they they might very well get your computer to you three days earlier than you thought you were going to get it. Or you would get your iPhone, oops, by accident the day before it was supposed to be released. That's the best kind of expectation you can get. You know, the unfortunate nature of of something as big and sweeping as the Affordable Care Act going into effect is that that's a lot of stuff to process all at once. Um, And, uh, you know, again, it's not it's not a political show. I could probably do one of those and I would bore myself to tears. Um, But uh, but the customer service response was just wholly inadequate and uh, and i wish they'd they'd gotten ahead of their own resp- uh, their own response more than they did and been a bit more comprehensive in it because it's a pretty comprehensive piece of legislation and their reaction to problems with it should have been just as forceful just as vigorous from the very beginning and not have found themselves playing catch up to themselves so so there's that and on the more conventional less politically tinged side of things uh with FedEx and UPS I was I was a victim of this. I was a terrible downtrodden victim uh, waiting for my Criterion Collection Martin Scorsese World Cinema Project box set a whole two days longer than I was told to expect it by Amazon Prime. I was weeping, I tell you, dear listeners, I was weeping, weeping for my existential dramas from Eastern Africa. And it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. Now there are other people out there that they got kids, they got kid expectations to meet, and there were a lot of ruined Christmases. And if I were to peg it on something, it's not that these poor truck drivers are just being lazy or hateful or resentful, and that's something that I, I got to tell you, it sticks in my craw, and I'm about, you know, I'm I can feel my blood boiling because it's it's the thing that i want to come back to more than anything is that people in service jobs do not hate you they do not resent you they you know they they do not respond like thomas on downton abbey resenting every breath you draw and these are people that like the reports have said they're working 60 70 80 hour weeks killing themselves spending the majority of their waking day away from their loved ones and people that they care about to deliver these packages. And it is absolutely not their fault that the companies they work for cannot manage the capacity that they took on. You know, blame it on the the massive rise in mail order, which is what Amazon.com and online shopping is, honestly. You know, you could blame it on that. And the fact that FedEx and UPS could not have possibly anticipated that demand. And without doing a deep dive Horace you- level chart busting analysis of their businesses, their operating margins and all that kind of stuff. I could not tell you if FedEx or UPS specifically chose to, you know, tuck a few more million dollars into executive pockets, then hire more labor and outfit more trucks and spread out the burden. But this year, more than any that I can remember in the 30 years I've been on this planet, it really seems like those shipping services completely buckled. And it wasn't that they had some magical hidden truck hidden away behind some bushes somewhere that they just chose not to use. They just, no matter how you crack it, did not have the capacity. And it wasn't, you know, yeah, there are always delays from winter storms, But it wasn't some giant blizzard hitting Tennessee, preventing things from going out. This was that there was barely room in these distribution centers, which I've heard from friends who work for these companies. There was barely room in the distribution centers for the packages that were coming in because there was only so much that could go out in a day. And something has to change. And we cannot be complacent about it. And if you read site like Consumerist, like I do, you know what? You, maybe you could you could count it as brainwashing. Maybe you could just say that I'm angry. Maybe you could just say that I, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, I just have too high expectations for the for the modern corporate culture. But this is not something that we should allow to just be the way that the world works. We can always demand better of the companies that are serving us. But we can separate that from the person whose fingers are shaking and on the verge of frostbite because they've been out in sub-zero temperatures delivering people's copies of Mario Brothers. You know those are the last people that we want to take it out on. You know, you see that your package is out for delivery and you've formed a mental picture of this lazy, awful man in brown shorts, with the brown baseball cap, and a brown shirt. Who is just taking a long lunch and refusing to bring you, you know, your video game or Christmas ornament or uh, muffler. You've got to direct your energy at the right people. Because not only are they not at fault, but the poor people who answer the phones for FedEx and UPS this time of year, they really do not want to tell you, sir, I really don't know where your package is. Sometimes that's the truth. And it's the kind of thing that just saying the qualifier, look, I know it's not your fault, but, and then proceeding to the yell at the person anyway, doesn't solve anything. Especially at this time of year, especially if you're still waiting on a package and you call and you get one of these nice people that, that work for these companies, they pick up the phone they say, hi, my name's so-and-so. How can I help you? And their answer doesn't solve your problem, you can tell him all right, well, thank you very much, and uh you know I, I wish it had worked out. I know that you know you can't flip a switch and suddenly have Scotty beam it into my living room, or you know push a red button and have Jeff Bezos fly an Amazon drone over to pick it up and bring it to me direct to that anger at the company that you bought it from if it's amazon say hey i'm a prime member why am i paying for prime that isn't delivering on the promise that prime gives me why why does ups have a package of mine that's been sitting in a distribution center for four days literally not moving it's not even lost it's just not moving and the information that i get back on their website is package status unknown Package status unknown. Is it in Siberia? Like, have the Klingons taken my package hostage and flown it off of planet Earth? What? what what's going on? Like, wh- what kind of a response is that? We can demand better service. But it's a matter of where we direct those requests in terms of how it makes a difference. I know for a fact from working for a number of companies that giving them documented information about, hey, look, I called UPS, and I called them again, and I spoke to this number of people, and they said this series of things to me, that will inform more than anything, that will inform who those companies choose to use as their shipping provider. That's that. That's the only. That's the only advice that I've got to offer. And look, if you had Amazon screw up on something, whether you're a Prime member or not, hit them up on whatever way they actually let you contact them. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. I, I think GetHuman.com still still gives you a good guide to to how to actually get a human being at all these different companies. Um, you know, try to get somebody on the phone if you can, because those are actual people talking to you, generally. Where sending an email, you usually get some sort of a canned response. And that's that's all that there is that they can send you. Document things. That that is That is the biggest piece of advice I can give to anybody. Even if it is on your first call to somebody, every time you make a first phone call to a customer service line, get the name of who you spoke with. If they are the type of rep that you can contact back directly, get an extension number. Not all of them can. Not all of them are able to do that. Don't assume that they can't. Don't assume that they just hate you or they're being hateful. Document that kind of information. All you need is a sheet of paper and a pen and keep track of it. That kind of information is the sort of stuff that if you, you know, like like our friend Chase, who will be on the theoretical show when it theoretically launches. You document this stuff and you put it to them. What else? What else are they going to do? Other than say, well, we're going to fix this. I, I've got a story about Verizon that I'll tell you guys about. An executive level escalation. I, I went there. And I'm a, guy, I'm a guy who fixed those kinds of problems. That's right. I, I emailed the CEO of Verizon. My issue was that bad and that unfixable that I, that I went there. But don't assume that you have to hit the nuclear button first. Do not assume that the person that you're talking to literally cannot help you And they're starting out against you. Give the people that you talk to the benefit of the doubt. If not because it's the end of the year, the holiday season, whatever this time of year is for you, whatever any time of year is for you, give people the benefit of the doubt. We will all be massively, massively better for it. So this has been a hastily cobbled together, uh, half anxious, half nervous, uh, all hopeful Pilot for a show that uh, the the title I'm I'm really kind of in love with is Thank You for Calling because if you if you call and leave a voicemail on the uh, Google Voice line that I set up, which by the way is at two four zero two eight five ninety six twenty three and that's two four zero two eight five ninety six twenty three. Leave me a voicemail there it means that in the in the outgoing message on that I can say Thank you for calling. Thank you for calling. It's been uh, great spending Friday early evening with those of you tuning in live. Uh, Like I said, this will be posted as special number 23 at five by five dot TV slash specials slash 23. If you love the idea of this show, if you love what you've heard, look, even if it's got some rough edges and it needs some work, look, I'm listening. I'm eager for feedback. That's what a call in show. It's nothing but is. It's nothing but feedback. You can send me an email, arthousecowboy at gmail.com. You can find all my writing at arthousecowboy.com. I've got three other shows here on 5 by 5 I co-host The Critical Path with Horace Dead You. Then I also host uh, Screen Time and Giant Size. So go give those a listen. If this is your first time hearing my voice, hope you enjoy them. If you like comic books, you like Giant Size. If you like uh, anything to do with movies, TV, and games, uh, in some respect or another, I think you'll like screen time. We've recently kind of re uh, rewired it a bit. We're going to call it a night. Um, if you or your company is interested in sponsoring this show, sponsoring it into existence, please do get in touch. You've got my email. You can hit me up on Twitter, you know, whatever. It's not hard to find me again. Show notes uh, with links will be at five by five dot TV slash specials slash 23 And that's going to do it for this pilot episode of Thank You For Calling. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we're going to do our best to be back soon.